Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Sarah Silverman. My heart stopped and I go, were you just eating pussy? And he goes, the way he thought about it, it was like a magician that guessed his card. He was like, yes! That and more. Plus Kamel Nanjiani, Samantha B, Trevor Noah, and Aubrey O'Day. But first... I want to tell you about another podcast you might like to check out. If you like Risk, you might also like Other People's Problems. Takes you behind the doors of real-life therapy sessions. From the not-so-thrilling job of being a full-time mom to not getting enough sex from your partner, we discover and hear firsthand that other people's problems are a lot like your own. Subscribe to Other People's Problems at cbc.ca slash OPP or wherever you get your podcasts. And just one more thing before we start. Addiction is a nationwide problem. There's no easy fix. Recovery is not one size fits all. American addiction centers customize treatment to fit individual needs with evidence-based practices and specialized patient care technology. This is especially important in the midst of the current opioid epidemic. If you're ready to get help, Call American Addiction Centers at 888-489-4992. Available 24-7. Your life is worth more than your addiction. Don't wait until it's too late. Okay, that's all of that. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Beastie Boys behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode The Best of Risk All-Stars. Five of our favorite stories from our All-Star episodes. Now, if you're new to Risk, if you've never heard the podcast before, I highly recommend you check out some of our other best of episodes. The best of risk number 12 and number 13 are amazing. But today we're going to look back at some of our favorite true stories on our series by celebrities. On risk, we feature stories that are too uncensored, too intimate, too outrageous, too emotional to be played on broadcast radio. Some are hilarious. Some are terrifying. They are normally stories told by people of all walks of life, but we're celebrating famous folks this week. Speaking of famous folks, the Risk book is coming out in July, and it's going to feature some folks like Mark Marin, Michael Ian Black, Aisha Tyler, Jonah Ray, Lily Taylor, Paul F. Tompkins, Dan Savage, a lot of wonderful people in the Risk Book. You can pre-order it at theriskbook.com. And if you do, be sure to email me at kevin at risk-show.com to say you did pre-order and you'll be eligible for a prize. Now let's dive right in to today's episode. We're about to hear three stories in a row 
You'll also hear some montages of snippets of other celebrities we've had on over the years, but you're about to hear three full stories. The third one is going to be by Aubrey O'Day, who you might know from Danity Kane and Celebrity Apprentice. Now, Aubrey's story has become quite infamous lately because many gossip outlets like Us Magazine have been talking about Aubrey's appearance on the podcast. The gossip magazines are proposing that the mystery man that Aubrey talks about in her story is Donald Trump Jr. We don't know. We'll let you be be the judge. But before that, we're going to hear from the absolutely wonderful Samantha B of The Daily Show and Full Frontal. And before that, this first story we're going to hear is by Kumail Nanjiani and Pete Holmes, who used to host the Risk Live show in Los Angeles a while back together. They would sometimes tag team telling a story on stage. You know Kumail from HBO's Silicon Valley and the amazing movie and Oscar nominee The Big Sick. And you know the amazing Pete Holmes from the HBO series Crashing. Here they are now at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles. It's Kamal Nanjiani and Pete Holmes with a story we call The Backstabber. Uh, so, uh, I'll tell this quick story about Impulse. Um, uh, I'll ruin it. <laughs> yeah. I had a very, very conservative Muslim upbringing. Very conservative. This was in Pakistan. We were told, when I was a little kid, when I was eight, I was told that looking at a woman with a lustful gaze was the same sin, this is true, as stabbing the prophet's nephew in the back while he is praying. <laughs> I like how they got to that because they were like, well, it's as bad as stabbing the prophet's nephew. Oh, that's not bad enough. Maybe you. he's turned away because no. he's praying. Oh, that's now it. I feel bad for looking at that one. Yeah, so, so I was terrified of girls. And I remember very specifically, I have this specific moment. I was around 10. You know that Cindy Crawford commercial, the Diet Pepsi one? I remember I was, uh, uh, this, she's in the convertible and the hair is blowing in the breeze and she gets out and she's wearing these tight jeans and this Those tight jeans shirt. stab so many nephews. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I was like watching it like because she like puts the money in the vending machine oh, and she I gets remember. this wet cylindrical can yep. that she puts it to her lips and I was like I am stabbing the fuck out of the prophet's nephew right now. Well but at that brain. point I didn't know what sex was you know. Like I don't know what I would do if I was in a room alone like probably just like squeeze her mole. I <laughs> I would do that today. <laughs> that would be awesome today. <laughs> but uh, then all that went away. My cousin gave me this videotape. Like, out of nowhere. I, I don't know what sex is or anything. He gives me this videotape. A pornographic videotape. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's some squeezing, but that's not the main event, you know? So I put it in. I saw it for 30 seconds. I put it out at a fever for two days. <laughs> I was like, I promised God. I literally looked up to the ceiling. I was like, I'll never do this again. Then two weeks later, I got curious, you know? I didn't give it a chance to develop. Sure. What is the motivation of these characters? I put it in, and then you could say, weird side note to this. This is a weird part of the story. Is so one of the tapes they gave me is a regular porn, like beginning to end, men, women, different combinations, you know, porn. 
but the pre this is completely true. But the preview before it, just a two minute preview before it, was for a movie where the people uh, defecate on each other. You mean porn? <laughs> <laughs> it was way too early for me to see porn, but it's definitely way too early for me to realize that there was a fetish where people excreted in each other. That was Hitler's fetish, they say. Was it really? Yeah. I remember, well, first of all, what I love is that it's a regular porn, but that's the preview. Yeah. Like, they're like, do you like sex? Well, then you might like shitting on people. <laughs> do you like driving a car? Well, then maybe you want to drown in a submarine <laughs> that's on fire. Aren't you so glad that you're not into shit porn? I oh, am. my God. Every what if I was like, that's it? <laughs> that's what I've been looking for. Cindy Crawford's great and all, but she has almost no shit on her face. <laughs> little to no shit. If I squint, I can pretend the mole is a little, uh, <laughs> wow, a little dollop. Good. Yeah, bringing it all back. Yeah, but honestly, this is true. Like, it happened to me so early. Like, I think of it a lot. Not in a sexual way. It's just a reference. That shit. <laughs> yeah, like, I think some synapse in my brain formed. And it's just a reference that comes up. Yeah. Like, I'll see somebody run a red light, and I'm like, he ran a red light, but what do I know? Sometimes people shit on each other. <laughs> it's like my Hitler reference. Your world was flipped upside down. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, but back to the regular porn. Please, so I was watching yeah. it, and I would watch it whenever my parents were out at the house, uh, and I was getting better at it, you know? The porn? Better at not having to watch it for as long. Jane off. Yeah. <laughs> less and less time. Bringing it, bring so it to the finale. Each time, yeah. And like, then followed by the guilt-ridden shower, you know? Yeah. I just think I'm going to hell. It's all part of it. But it's a strong... <laughs> it is all part of it. It's of the course. thing I'm like, this is awesome. What have I done? Yeah. You know, sex. It's an eight ball. Yeah, it's, it's an eight ball. So I just feel uh, this fucking thing of... That's, but it's like, that's the impulse, you know? It's like the impulse that's like let our species to fucking evolve and survive. I'm just a 10-year-old boy with a dick. I can't fight that, you know? Yeah. So I was watching this tape, and uh, sometimes the electricity goes. And when right. the electricity goes, you don't know if it's gone for five minutes or if it's gone for five days. One day I'm at home alone. It's the afternoon. My mom's running errands. I'm almost done, you know? I'm watching this v VHS, and the, the electricity goes. Pulling in? Yeah. The electricity goes, and I am fucked because I can't get the tape out of the VCR. <laughs> yeah, and I start freaking out, and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to have to run away. <laughs> I'm just going to pack my bags and walk the earth, which sucks because I love my parents, and I'm like 11. <laughs> like, what am I going to do for money? Just go town to town? Any work needs doing? I can beat Mario and draw a Ninja Turtle. <laughs> Do you have any openings? I remember specifically being like, oh, I'll steal my dad's business suit. That way, I can grow into it and then go on job interviews. So my whole plan is to ride out the next 10 years on the streets of Karachi, which CNN once called City of Terror. That is true. BBC was much kinder. They called a City of Nightmares. Which at least implies that we have dreams, you know? Completely <laughs> <laughs> true. So it's then I was like... It's a difficult Call of Duty level. Yeah, I was like, I can't do that. It is, but I know all the hiding spots. <laughs> hey, hide in there. I used to rent movies at this place. <laughs> Mr. Siddiqui will give us shelter. 
so I, but then I have this idea. I can't run away. I get my dad's toolkit. I'm like, I'll be, oh, oh, I'll open up the VCR and just get the tape out. Okay. How? So I take the cover off and. I don't know what I, I thought I'd just be able to get the tape right out, just like pick it up off the velvet cushion it's sure. sitting on. There's no velvet cushion. It's buried in layers and layers of parts. So, so I'm like, I have to get to, because the hard thing for me is I have to, I'm like, I'll just have to get to the tape. So I just unscrew, I pull everything out. It's like, like that small. There's a hundred parts that small. I'm like, I'll be able to put this back together. <laughs> it's not like engineers made this thing which is exactly who had made it. <laughs> so I get it out, I finally get to the tape, I rip it out and I look behind me and the whole floor is covered in tiny VCR parts. I have no fucking idea how they go back. So I'm putting everything back and it's very difficult. I'm sweating into the VCR. Uh, I wish I'd taken notes, diagrams, something. I finally get everything in, I put the cover on, I screw it, success, and then I look behind me. And there are two little parts <laughs> just sitting there. I have no idea where they go. So I go and I hide them, because in my head, I think if my dad sees them, he's gonna know exactly what happened. <laughs> you know, he's like, isn't that the transmogrifier for the VCR? And that's the flux capacitor, you've been watching porn. <laughs> so the VCR works after that, but it's never the same, you know? It's got this look in its eyes like it's been through a war, you know? Like, oh, you haven't seen the things I've seen. <laughs> Charlie! It just says Charlie. <laughs> The fast forward doesn't always work. It makes this clicking sound all the time. So a couple weeks later, my mom's like, oh, I'm gonna take you to get it fixed. I'm like, no, 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 I'll take you to get it fixed. So I take it to the guy and I give it to the VCR repair guy and he plugs it in and it starts making that clicking sound. And it's the sound he's heard before. And he looks at me and he leans in and he says, next time you get a tape stuck in there, bring it to me, I won't tell your parents. <laughs> I thought of all the clicking sounds in all the houses where little Pakistani boys had ripped tapes out of VCRs. <laughs> Completely true. He knew he right away what had happened. That's fantastic. I really liked your story. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> you want to hear a weird a PS to that story that won't be in the podcast? Yeah, sure. Later, I, when I got like 14, I got like really bold. You know how you could hook up VCRs and uh, record stuff onto... I started uh, recording my favorite scenes in the middle of like kid VHSs that I owned. Like, you mean kid porn? No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I put regular porn in the middle of kid porn. Because <laughs> kid porn it. is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very complicated religion. Sure. Lot of ins, lot of outs. Um, <laughs> so no, but like, like Roger Rabbit, I would record all my copies of all my movies had like porn in the middle. So like Roger Rabbit, like takes a total left turn. <laughs> they abandon the Toontown plot. <laughs> and then the way they play patty cake is very different. <laughs> then I would like, I would like give a, 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 a loan videos to my friends. I was like the porn supplier. <laughs> I was making boner jams when I was like 14. And it was awesome for them because it was just like Jurassic Park, you know? It's like a reverse Trojan horse. They could just take it, parents don't care. But the fucking best thing I did with that, this is true, the best thing I did is, uh, okay, you guys know the movie Mask? I don't, mean, I don't mean Jim Carrey with the green face. I mean like Cher with the kid with the big face, you know? I gave my friend the movie Mask with porn in the middle. <laughs> 
Let me rephrase that. I gave him the movie mask and I told him there was porn in the middle. But there was no porn. It was a prank. So he became the first guy in history to watch the entirety of mask with an erection. No porn, just a disfigured kid touching lives and then dying. He called me afterwards and he was like, I'm not even angry. That was great. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> That's brilliant. The weird post, uh, the, what happened after that is like I moved away from Pakistan and then my mom sold off my VHSs. <laughs> so there's some little kid in Pakistan watching Dick Tracy like, this movie gets really good. <laughs> professional drinker I started young so I knew what was about to happen and I knew what to do I rolled down the window and I stuck my head out we were going maybe 15 miles an hour at, at just the right speed for the vomit to blow out of the passenger side window then back into the rear passenger side window and all over the back of the car I'm not a big fan of hallucinogens. I'd never done mushrooms before. I'd never done acid since that one time in college. I did acid and stopped, never did it again. And so I'm like, holy fuck, I'm really fucked. Um, and here's this detail I've omitted. I was in drag in a gay bar on Halloween. <laughs> and I was the MC, host, and judge of the costume contest at midnight. She runs up to me and I'm like, hey, and she's like, how are you doing? And I don't know what happened, but I just broke out crying. I mean, I exploded in tears. And it was so beautiful because she looks at me and she goes, not so good, huh? <laughs> and she's screaming, he's dead. Oh my God, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead. Oh my God, he's dying. He's dead. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? And then I realize. I'm unconscious. tell my children this story eventually my children are going to be humiliated but okay this is what happened I guess I was around 15 years old and I was seeing this guy he was my first ever boyfriend and we had this really tumultuous relationship I mean it was really crazy it was emotionally abusive for sure it was not physically abusive but um it was definitely like he was very mean to me and I lapped it up. Like I loved it for some reason. He would just put me down all the time and then and pretend to break up with me and then I would spend the whole day trying to get him to get back together with me. It was just this awful, horrible, toxic relationship that made my parents so berserk. 
my mother didn't want him coming over the house, so she took away my house key, which was really stupid because it just meant that I spent more time with him because I couldn't go home. <laughs> no, it was home. I couldn't get into my own house. He was a terrible student, but I was a really nerdy, really good student, and we were stealing cars together. We were totally stealing cars together and being criminals and trying to, it was my idea that we would form this like criminal syndicate and be famous criminals. I just thought it would be a great plan for my future to live in Miami Beach and commit crimes for a living. And I was a straight A student. I was like a really serious student at the same time. So these were parallel lives. What ended up happening was I just blew off school so much to spend time with him because he was such a shitty student and he went to a trade school and he just took kind of metal shop and stuff like that, but he just blew all that off anyway. And by the time December rolled around and it was exam time, I didn't know any of the content of any of the classes that I had <laughs> been enrolled in, but I was so panicked about not getting straight A's, I couldn't reconcile those two things. So I decided that, I decided this, this was not his idea, I decided that what I should do <laughs> is to break my hand and pretend that it was retroactive to coming into exam time so that I couldn't have possibly written any of my exams because of my broken hand. So it was like, <laughs> it was about three days into my Christmas exams and I didn't even go to my exams. Like I just didn't even go. And I was so panicked about it that we went out one night and it was really late. It was like midnight or one o'clock in the morning or something. I hadn't come home. I was never coming home. So I made him try and break my hand. He didn't want to do it. I convinced him, I spent the whole day convincing him that he should break my hand because I couldn't quite do it myself. I needed somebody else to, to, to do the deadly hand blow. And he was actually very physically upset by it. He wasn't made of that kind of fiber, which I give him a little bit of credit for. Uh, but he did agree to do it in the end. So we ended up putting my hand on the bumper of a car, on the metal bumper of a car, and he took a giant rock and he bashed my hand with the rock after a lot of cajoling from me, believe me. Um, I put my hand calmly on the car. He hit my hand with the rock. My hand blew up instantly. I was prepared for it, and I didn't cry at all. I was like a sociopathic teenager. <laughs> I really was. And I was like, great. Okay, let's go to the hospital. So <laughs> we went to the hospital. Basically, in the middle of the night, I was wearing pearls. I was really preppy looking. And nobody, even at the hospital, said anything. They were like, what did you do to your hand? And I tried to make them believe that I had slipped on the ice, but they knew. I mean, it obviously had been bashed with something. And they must have thought that he was abusing me. So it was very disconcerting to have two 15-year-old children, basically, one in pearls. <laughs> Walk into the emergency room and basically in the middle of the night during Christmas exam time with a giant hand and obviously a wound on it from being hit with a rock. But they treated my hand, I did not break it. And I was disappointed that it wasn't broken. And it was my writing hand!
it was kind of sprained and it it had a huge goose egg on it and it turned completely purple and green and yellow and it was just a mess and I was really happy and confident that I could get out of my exams and it wasn't going to be a problem because of my gross hand so I was so relieved I was like oh good this is going to work so I went home it was the middle of the night my mother was sleeping I kind of shoved her and I was like, um, I missed all my Christmas exams because it sprained my hand. And she was like, what? What's going on? <laughs> what are you talking? Because she hadn't seen me in days. And I had a hospital tag. I was like, this is my hospital tag. She didn't even really get out of bed because she was like, this is, I give up. I don't even know how to deal with this. So she just sort of laid there. And I went to my room, went to sleep, and I was really happy. And I didn't have to do any of my exams because of this injury. Um, and I pretended that, you know, I used it as a retroactive excuse. And then I transferred myself out of my high school and transferred myself into a new high school by forging documents. So that I could put all of that behind me and then refocus on my studies, I enrolled in a completely new high school. I pretended that I had the authorization of my family by forging all of these necessary documents. And they never called home. They never called to check. My grades had been good up to that point, and then I had been excused from all of my Christmas exams. And so I just kind of started fresh at a whole new high school and literally reinvented myself out of thin air. I kind of woke up one day and thought, I don't think that relationships should be this difficult. And I cut them off completely. I've never really done that with another person, but it was very good. I mean, I'm very glad that it happened, um, but I was just completely able to cut him out of my heart in a really swift motion, which was impossible for him to deal with. But for me, it was great. I just cut, 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 and he was gone, and then I went back to being a nerd. I didn't even regret it. It was actually kind of a genius move at the time because it, it was the catalyst for me being able to try things all over again. I think it was really stupid. I mean, it was crazy. I mean, crazy. Just awful. But it was sort of it was sort of smart to, to do it that way. I mean, crazy and crazy stupid smart. It was inspired. <laughs> but if my daughter ever, if she came home in the middle of the night and told me her hand was broken, I would be getting up. I would fully rise out of my bed and we would be having a conversation about that. <laughs> I'm just very lucky that my hand is completely functional and didn't suffer any terrible repercussions. Hands are so important. I mean, you can live without them, but life is so much harder without a functioning hand. Whenever I walk into a place that's called Mr. Pinkies, and it's like three o'clock in the morning, I'm expecting hovering blue <clears throat> Armenian bumblebee to be like, I got jack-off pills for you, yeah! So this is all being hurled at me, and I'm still doing my comedy, still just standing there, acting like it's going fine. Uh, boo, you suck, get off the stage. One guy 
uh, I guess he felt like uh, these three phrases were too confining for him, and he decided to go a little jazz with it. He yells at me, you're a piece of shit! You're a piece of shit. A, a human being said that to me. Another human being. We're like making a decision here, and I'm like feeling good about this decision. It's not like, fuck, 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 you know what I mean? It was like, dope, let's fucking do this, let's keep going, you know? And like, I'm sort of like, why buy the cow when you can get the, suck like the milk out of the dick thing, you know what I mean? And I'm so devoid of any nutrition or anything uh, that I immediately black out. Boom, hit my head on the counter. My glasses break and I have a black eye and I'm passed out and I shit my pants. So it's like, yeah, fasting's wonderful. I mean, look at me. We're ready. So am I. Boom. (laughs) Crap my pants. So Beowulf called me a couple days back and he said, hey, you know, someone dropped out. We want you to come speak again. And I said, okay, well, what's the topic? And I heard him say, Spanx. And I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. I have this whole fucked up history with Spanx, so this is going to be amazing. And um, just for the guys that are looking like confused right now, do you guys know what Spanx are, ladies? Yeah. Do you guys know, guys? Do you need a definition? Any girls, do you want to give it, give it a shot? Tight. Girdles. Here, I looked it up actually earlier. It's kind of fucking hilarious. Okay, so. UrbanDictionary.com calls them (laughs) power panties used by portly people (laughs) for the illusion of slimness. Um, Also shorthand for saying thanks. So I guess they tie into each other. Um, I also just have to read the sentence that it's used in because it's amazing. I ate too much damn prime rib at the buffet and can only fit into my Jordak jeans with the help of my Spanx. (laughs) So, Spanx, here we go. I filmed a lot of shows, as Beowulf has said. Uh, In particular, I was filming a show and started up this unspoken connection with a big celebrity who I can't name because I'll get sued up the ass. But um, anyway, we started up this connection. We would always be staring at each other. We did the little eye-fucking thing. I don't know if you guys know what that is, but like the intense stares where something's going to happen. And we built up this whole relationship. We became friends. We became more than friends. We became the in-between thing for a while. And then on the finale, we did this big performance, and I was walking through the hallways and got pulled into this bathroom, and he threw me up against the wall, and looked at me for like two seconds and then we just started making out like crazy all over on top of this, behind that, underneath this. Um, And then he goes to rip off my dress and um, you know, I was like busy making porn faces and stuff. So I didn't, (laughs) I was like lost in the moment and he started laughing. So I looked up and I'm like, what? And then he's like, Holy fuck, I've never seen Spanx that big in my life. No. 
yes, I maybe was a little poorly, according to UrbanDictionary.com, and um, <laughs> trying to make my body slimmer for this finale of this show so I could look pretty on TV. Um, but in, in the process, I forgot that I wore the big spanks, the ones that come all the way up underneath your boobs and go down to your knees. So, and they're like, they're like fucking fierce. Like, <laughs> these spanks are fierce. So, um, yeah, like the hot, sexy moment with the big celebrity, which was the first, you know, um, big celebrity that ever, like, cared about me, um, saw me in, like, a humiliating situation. So I'm thinking for sure we're not going to continue this. This was embarrassing. Oh, by the way, I forgot to also mention this. Spanx have like a little hole because they're difficult to get on and off. So they have a little hole so you could just conveniently squat and go to the bathroom. So needless to say, those Spanx didn't come off during that whole thing. But um, (laughs) don't act like you guys haven't done that, females. (laughs) They're like, no. Um, So... (laughs) Wait, thank you, God, way to fucking leave me hanging. So, okay, so we actually end up starting up a relationship. He thinks it's funny, he is willing to move past it, but he does call me Spanky every single conversation that we had, which ended up being my nickname for a very long time. Um, So, basically, we get into this relationship, we build, it's great, but I start getting nervous and my trust issues start taking over and I feel like what is so great about me like I'm I think I'm great but like you know he (laughs) hangs out with like Victoria's Secret models he's at dinner with huge celebrities he runs with the biggest agents and managers and like he's the shit so I can't really trust this person we're from different worlds we're different people so I overwhelmingly um, continued to put on a front. I tried to be exactly what he wanted. I tried to be better than the things he had had. Um, and we were separated because we lived on different sides of the country. So we began to text message. We would have phone sex, which led to this thing called Skype. Does everybody know what that is? Okay. <laughs> So we um, decided we were going to have, like, Skype sex because it was just so intense and passionate and, like, we had to see each other doing these things. So I'm like, fuck, I don't even have a Skype. I had to pretend like I've done it a million times. So I call my girlfriend, and she comes over and sets me up with the Skype because I don't even understand how to use that shit. And, um, and I'm like, okay, like, what do people normally do? And she's like, well, you know, you just look sexy, push up your boobs, like, whatever. You talk dirty, and you guys touch each yourselves for each other. So I'm like, oh, my God, this is so weird. You know, like, I'm not going to be good at this. So she's like, listen, don't freak out. Take this pill. It'll calm you down. (laughs) Yep. So she gave me a pill. She told me it's very important with Skype if you want to be, like, this guy's first amazing one. They're better than the others. That you keep it casual. You don't want to look like you're trying too hard. You don't want to look like you're desperate. I think Kim Kardashian coined that word. So, anyway, I didn't want to look desperate. So I um, got to the house. And by the way, this pill that she gave me is something called a Kalanapin. And that bitch is sitting in the back right over there. If you guys want some drugs later, she's available. But, uh, so... 
So she gave me a Klonopin, which I still to this day can't even explain. I think it's something like a Xanax on steroids. So I first decide I'm not going to take that. I'm just going to be me. So I get all done up, and I think, like, I'm going to look like I just got out of the shower. So I'm going to get my hair wet, and I'm going to be, like, light makeup. I mean, I, like, fucking prepared the lighting. Like, I had this thing down. (laughs) You can lift your computer up a little higher, and it gives you better angles with females, just in case you have Skype sex. So, so he's like, okay, he's, we planned this session for, I don't know, 9 p.m. So I get all ready, I jump in the shower, I put my Spanx on because I was going to wear a tight little tee and I wanted to look skinny. Put my Spanx on, put my tee on, rush over and like get sexy in front of the computer. He's not there. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, text message, hey, I'm caught at work, we're going to have to, you know, move this a little bit back. 30 minutes, an hour, continues on. I'm jumping back and forth from the shower back in front of the computer like my fucking hair kept drying up. Shit was crazy. I keep jumping in the shower trying to get it perfectly wet. I had like so much product in it. It was crazy. So finally, I remember, um, you know, I had my glass of wine. I had a few glasses at that point. I'm like, dude, this fucking sucks. Like, I feel so stupid. Um, I'm just going to take this pill. Pop the pill with the drinks, and then I got a text message from him saying, 10 minutes, let's go. So I'm like, okay, let me just jump in the shower real quick, get my hair wet. <laughs> so that's all I remember. I, I, I know I was j- gonna jump in the shower. Okay, so I wake up in the morning, and I mean, I had the best fucking sleep I have ever had in my life. So I wake up in the morning and I'm like real confused. I don't know what happened. I don't know what, you know, I'm not, I'm not even sure where I'm at. I look at myself and I was naked except for my spanks. <laughs> and I had wet hair. So I didn't know what had really happened. I thought, okay, maybe I just passed out. Let me check my phone. So I got my phone and um, it rings as I'm going to grab it. So I pick it up and it's this girl, Toby, that I traveled around the world with on this program called Semester at Sea. And she's like, oh my God, like it's so good to talk to you. It was amazing last night, etc." We got in this whole conversation about life and like, you're just the coolest. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm still trying to figure out what's happening. And she says, so, um, you know, I, you told me to call you this morning and wake you up. I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, girl, sorry. Like, I took a pill last night, I don't remember, but cool, it was great talking to you. <laughs> so then I look at my phone and there were literally four international phone calls. <laughs> Apparently I got inspired from what Toby had said to call people from Semester at Sea in different countries that I had become friends with. And apparently I was on the phone with these people for no less than like 40 minutes. I don't remember any of this. <laughs> then, then I check my text messages and there's a random number and it says, that was so much fun. Good night, my little Jamaican princess. <laughs> no idea what that's about. <laughs> no idea. I, to this day, do not know what the fuck that was about. <laughs> so, then I open my computer and the Skype session is up and it's ended and like you have the ability to type and it says ended and it says how long it went for it went for an hour and 45 minutes and then the last thing in the text box said spanks a lot 
<laughs> so later, I find out that I was literally on the Skype session in my fucking Spanx with no clothes on, boobs out, wet hair, makeup dripping down my face like a crackhead. <laughs> So needless to say, like my, my fantasy of being his best Skype session probably didn't come true. Most interesting, yes. Um, but again, he thought that it was lovable and he liked me more. I, this guy's crazy. So, so we continue on. The first incident was horrible. The Skype incident was horrible. Now I'm going to New York for another show and I'm going to see him. So I get all ready, and this time he wants to introduce me to his friends. We've been dating for a while. We're throwing around the I love yous. We're happy. So I go to New York, and I'm meeting some of his best friends, these big people that own big shit, and I want these people to like me. So I get this extra small spank that is like... <laughs> and when I tell you, you are like Nicole Richie back in the day when she was like eating disordered out skinny. <laughs> So, I put the spank on. I got this like tight black dress. I walked in this restaurant, like hair blowing in the wind. It probably wasn't really blowing, but that's how I imagine, like, see it. <laughs> My hair was blowing. I was just like the chick to bone in the restaurant, okay? <laughs> Which felt great. Obviously, all of his friends wanted to bone me. He wanted to bone me. I was like, fuck, thank you, spanks. So I get back to his hotel and I'm like, I'm not gonna mess up this time. I'm going straight to the bathroom before anything crazy happens and I'm going to take off the Spanx. So I run to the bathroom and I start to try to take these things off. <laughs> it takes a fucking village to get Spanx off, okay? It is not easy and these things were not coming off. And when I tell you when you try to squeeze something bigger and an extra, extra small Spanx is not cute. So. I pretended, I knew that I wasn't gonna get these off unless I asked him to help, which I'm not doing. My pride is not allowing that. So I acted like I lost one of my earrings downstairs in the lobby and I needed to find it because it was like my favorite pair of earrings. So I ran down, had this whole fucking discussion with this woman at the front desk that doesn't allow scissors to leave the front desk of the hotel. God forbid a pair of 4.99 fucking scissors are standing in the way of me and my dude. So I get in this whole thing with her. I give her my credit card. I take the scissors. I run back upstairs. I chop these things off in the bathroom. I'm like, what do I do? I don't have my purse. I have nothing in here. So I'm like, if I throw them in the trash can, he's going to see them. So I roll them up. And you know how they have the towels rolled on the like thing? So I rolled them up and I shoved them like inside the towel. So there's no, I'm going to get them in the morning, duh. Like whatever. So it's fine. <laughs> so... <laughs> So we have like amazing sex, it's great. I like excelled, I did so good at being like the hot girl that he's with, all the friends love me. I was like on my way to being like the cool celebrity girlfriend. So, which is fucking lame, but anyway. So we wake up in the morning, he goes to the bathroom, I'm like passed out. We like did it every which way, so I'm like dead. He's in the bathroom taking a shower. I kind of hear the shower, I remember just hearing little things. Then I immediately remembered that I put these spanks in a towel. So I'm like, okay, it, chances are he's not gonna use that towel, okay? Ch chances are it's gonna be cool, so I'm, I'm okay for now. He's up in there, comes out, and I'm sitting here pretending to sleep, like, you know, your eyes flicker when you're trying to pretend, like, trying to look all cute. 
And I look over and I open my eyes and he had my Spanx, my cut Spanx on his head. (laughs) So he said, and then he said, you know, Aubrey, you can never trust a woman that wears Spanx because she's already lied to you. So that was his cute way of saying, stop doing this. Um, And then that was also kind of my moment of knowing, like, I don't have to live in my trust issues. Like, I don't have to, like, spend my life constantly trying to hide and lie about who I am. Somebody's going to love me for me, every embarrassing little factor. So, oh, wait, honey. Wait, boo <laughs> So I'm, like, super happy. I go back to my hotel. I'm, like, in it. Not even in the sex, but just the fact that he did that, the fact that he loved me. Women, we cover up things all the time about ourselves, and the fact that you're exposed and somebody really loves you still, it's like the best feeling in the world. It feels like love, whatever love is. (laughs) Guys, like, same thing for you when you guys have small penises, and we love you anyway. So, anyway. (laughs) So, we, oh, you didn't like that one, did you? Okay, so so I get home and I'm like super excited. We're both working all day and we didn't have plans to hang out that night, but we were going to leave on a vacation the next day. And I'm like, you know what? I need to show him that I'm not a lie, that that I love him, that I can put down my trust issues and be in this relationship. So I put on a jacket, and I'm like, I'm not going to wear any Spanx. I'm going to show up at his hotel, like, so cliche, in a jacket with nothing underneath it, and, like, pumps, and, like, be sexy, and no Spanx this time. So I call him, and he's at home. He ended up going back home, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, what are you doing? Nothing, going to bed, long day, whatever. I'm like, okay. So I go to his place, and I'm like, this is going to be my moment, right? Go up to the door, knock, 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 nothing, lights are out. I'm like, okay, I must have fallen asleep. He's not hearing me. Call a bunch, nothing. So I'm like, all right, like, whatever, I'm going to see him tomorrow. So I start to walk back, and I notice his car is parked out front. So I'm like, okay, he's probably there. Like, why would his car be here? And then I looked up, and I saw a light come up in his place. So I go back. Knocking on the door, starting to feel those trust issues in my throat. I'm like, this motherfucker. (laughs) Knocking, 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 nothing. Call, 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 like one of those crazy bitches that calls like 13 times, (laughs) nothing. I'm pacing back and forth outside the house like, okay, calm down, this is okay, he loves you, this is fine. Like, but he should be answering. (laughs) Bang, 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 bang. (laughs) I must have stood outside that house for a good 15 minutes. Finally, the lights come on throughout the house. Door opens. He's looking disheveled. He's like, God, babes, what's going on? I'm like, oh, you know, I wanted to surprise you. You know, I'm here. Look, aren't I cute? Don't have Spanx on. Um, And then he's like, oh, he's like, that's so sweet. Like, but I'm tired. We have to work tomorrow. We're leaving. Like, calm down. It's fine. Don't let your trust issues get you all crazy. So I'm like, yeah, I feel so stupid. Again, I'm embarrassing myself in front of this guy, you know? And now it's not the Spanx. It's not the external cover-up. It's the internal shit that's coming out. So I turn around, and I start to walk out. And I look up the stairs, and I notice the door to his bedroom is closed. I'm like, hmm, I don't know about that. <laughs> so <laughs> turn back around. I'm like, so there's nobody in here? No, I'm like, is there anyone in here? 
Hello? Anyone in here like screaming? Nothing. So I'm like, okay, I'm just crazy. So he's like, yeah, we gotta just wrap this up. You know, I gotta go to bed. We start walking, puts his arm around me, kind of pushing me a little. And it was nothing but that tiny little push I could feel in his hand. I was like, this shit is not right. He's pushing, pushing. I'm thinking of the, the lights off, the car, the going to bed early, the door closed, the push. And I'm like, hold up. <laughs> he was like, literally had his arm around me. So I did like one of those NFL, like, you know, those things. That <laughs> I like went around his arm and I matrixed my ass to the fucking sliding door, which he had to open. So I'm like... I know all my angles, right? I'm like spot things really well. So I know I'm not probably gonna be able to get up those stairs because he'll block me. But I know if I can maneuver around, I can head straight out the glass sliding glass door into the window. So I run outside, push through this fucking window. He tried to stop me, but couldn't even touch my force. <laughs> push through this window and saw a naked chick on his fucking bed. Ooh. So I dove through that window. <laughs> His fucking laptop went flying. The lamp broke. Everything on the desk there was like a desk in front of us. So everything broke. I like tr tumbled over like three times. And I don't know why this is like such a random detail, but like I went over to see if she was alive. Because <laughs> she was laying there in the bed and she had her naked legs spread open. I saw everything, girl. So. <laughs> Totally waxed, legs spread open. I could see the scars from her crappy tit job. I like, this chick was horrid. So I like, ran up and I immediately took her pulse. I'm like, are you alive? <laughs> she's like, she's all fucked up. And I'm like looking at her, I'm shaking her. I'm like, are you alive? Do you know where you are? And she was like, Aah. I was like, I'll tell you where you fucking are. You're in my boyfriend's fucking bed. <laughs> dropped her this bitch is of no use to me i'm sitting there he's trying to get in from the other side now i'm sitting there shaking i'm almost like i don't know it sounds so ghetto but like i wanted to hit her i don't know why because like it's so like bad girls club but for females and if you've ever been cheated on females like women want to go after the woman first it's like so stupid that we do that but anyways, I'm about to hit this girl. Like, I really don't like her. And I looked over at the chair, and there were all her clothes on the chair. And she had a pair of fucking spanks. And I realized her and I were soldiers in the same war. We were both doing the same thing. We were the same person. So anyways, needless to say, never talked to the dude again, never even knew who the girl was. Um, and I guess, you know, thanks can tie into my Spanx. Like, thanks, Spanx, for showing me this guy's a piece of shit. Um, and also, I think the moral to that story is Spanx do not lie. Men do. <laughs>
this is Risk. This is the heavy behind me now. And we just heard from Aubrey O'Day. And before that, a little montage of clips from other Risk episodes featuring Thomas Lennon, Paul F. Tompkins, Ilana Glazer, and Andy Dick. Before that, that crazy story about breaking her hand by Samantha B. And finally, before that, another montage of Risk clips by Aisha Tyler, Dan Savage, Mark Marin, and Michael Ian Black. More to come soon, but first, remember that some of those clips are from episodes that were put out in our first two years of Risk, so they're now available in our shop at risk-show.com or for anyone who becomes a patron of ours at patreon.com slash risk for $5 or more per month. Now I have to tell you guys about a great time-saving trick. I don't wear contact lenses, but someone on our staff does so we hooked him up with simple contacts he got his contacts lens prescription renewed from his couch last week in under five minutes using this awesome new app simple contacts lets you renew your prescription and reorder your brand of lenses from anywhere in minutes through an online self-guided vision test every test is designed and reviewed by doctors so they're literally bringing the doctor's office to your home think how much time you could save compared to making an appointment, getting to the eye doctor, taking time off. Better yet, the contact lens prices are unbeatable. The vision test is only $20 and shipping is free. Just remember, this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. They only test that the current prescription still helps you see 2020 and then renew that prescription. They don't write completely new RXs or examine eye health. It's so convenient, great savings. Best of all, risk listeners get $30 off their first Simple Contacts order. Just go to Simple contacts.com slash risk or enter the code risk at checkout. Again, that's simplecontacts.com slash risk and just enter the code risk at checkout for $30 off your contacts. Now we're about to get to our last two stories, but before we get to that, I wanted to let you know that if you live in California or Nevada, it's an exciting time right now. MedMen is helping to redefine the cannabis industry and empower people to exercise their right to purchase cannabis. MedMen is bringing a premium and traditional shopping experience to the cannabis space. All of the MedMen stores feature a wide range of products with knowledge and approachable staff to ensure you find what's best for you. Their shops are open for both recreational and medical cannabis users. Anyone over 21 with a valid ID is welcome. And MedMen is committed to providing the highest in quality and safety, so you won't have to worry about what you're buying. I've seen the photographs of these stores, the interiors of these stores. Wow, they're gorgeous. So be empowered to exercise your right to buy cannabis. Check out one of their eight retail locations throughout Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego, and Las Vegas, or go to medmen.com to find your nearest store. That's M-E-D-M-E-N.com. Plus, exclusively for Risk listeners, visit MedMen and tell them you heard about them on the Risk podcast for $10 off your order. Limit one per customer. Terms and conditions may apply. Check out MedMen today. Okay. In a little bit, we're going to hear a story from the amazing Trevor Noah, the host of The Daily Show. But before that, she is currently the host of I Love You, America on Hulu. It's the wonderful Sarah Silverman with a story we call Not So Sexy. 
like postcoital verbal tics, and they're like each different with each like kind of long-term relationship. Like um, for a while with one guy, um, and it's not even what I'm saying. Like at first I say it maybe to be funny, but then there's like something inside me that every time I have to say it or like will die or it's just some weird kind of thing inside me. But uh, for a while with one guy after sex, I would go, "You're a pig." I say you're a pig, you know, and we'd laugh. And but like after a while, it was just like, I think he was just like, "This is." I mean, it's definitely not funny anymore. <laughs> and then, uh, oh, one um, I used to say was um, like just after the orgasm, um, I would say um, his because that ends it. I mean, like, I'm not saying I don't have orgasms. <laughs> I've orgasms, like, all day long, but his orgasm finishes the, the session pretty much, right? So after his orgasm, um, I would say uh, if I had a rape exam right now, they'd find your semen inside me. <laughs> but, like, every time I would say it. And then, I've never said this before, and then, um, um, uh, one thing I like to do is I had one boyfriend I had particularly when he orgasmed would be like, <laughs> he was like a fucking animal. And um, it was awesome. But then when he, he'd finish, I'd always go, did you come? One time I had sex with a boyfriend. We were hosting poker like a little later. And um, we had sex. And then like we were, he, were, he was in the kitchen. Like we were getting like the treats and stuff together. And then all of a sudden I like went <gasps> and ran to the bathroom and sat down and shut the door, locked the door. And as that happened, uh, one of his friends came over, but I didn't know it. So when he said like, are you okay? I was like, yeah, no, cum came out of me. And then, like, I opened the door, and it was, like, his friend from work. Um, okay, so that's one. Um, like, a great thing that one boyfriend did for me is um, we would get into, like, it's not like we would role play or fantasy or anything, but, like, while we were having sex, we would talk dirty with, like, scenarios. You know, like, what if... I what if your brother was having a sleepover and you were sleeping in your parents' room and I came in and you were sleeping and I just started, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's fun. And um, so we would do stuff like that, you know, like, and um, we went on a vacation and, like, in a way, this is, like, the most romantic thing. Like, he had this whole plan. We get to, like, we were in Mexico or something and he brings like oil and he's like, I'm gonna give you a massage. I'm a masseuse coming to your room to give you a massage. And I'm like, great. So I um, lie down on the bed. That was, is, is somebody's phone ring boner? <laughs> <laughs> like boing. I'm sure it's an important call. Um, I, uh, so I'm lying on the bed, you know, and it's like, I can't see, I'm on my, I'm on my stomach lying on the bed and the, all the lights are out and he's like giving me a massage and it feels so good. And he kind of has like an accent just to like differentiate that it's not my boyfriend giving me a massage. Like, uh, do you, um, like a pressure hard, you know, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you know, 
And then I hear a knock at the door, but it's like literally him going like this. <laughs> oh, excuse me, uh, let me get the door. Then he like pretends to get the door. He like opens and shuts it. And he, with a tape recorder, had recorded like the Mexican room service valet co- side of the conversation. So it was like a... Uh, Oh, look at that. She's hot, right? He's like, uh, yeah, yeah, she is. Oh, I'd like to get some of that pussy. You know, yeah. And it's him talking to him, but he's like making it like a sexy, like two men, like two men fantasy, you know, on what and um it I I mean it was hot, like, but it was more than being hot. It kind of self-sabotage itself because like I was lying in bed and my face was like smushed against the pillow going like like it's so sweet that he did that you know like that it didn't feel sexual it just felt like oh my god I can't believe all the trouble you went through and it was funny you know like it was so funny like he's having a rehearse clearly he had to rehearse this (laughs) so I loved that I thought that was sweet um I didn't have one big story, so I'm just telling you more than, um, oh, okay, oh, okay, two more little stories. All right, so I had this one boyfriend um, who, like, we got into the habit of, uh, like, me giving him a morning hand job before he got up because he loved it, and he's so nice, you know, and, um, but it got to be, like, routine, you know, so we woke up. And, uh, you know, I go down there and I'm like, you know, this is, you know hand jabbing him. And uh, I, my mind drifted and like without realizing how rude it was, I went, <laughs> like a, the loudest yawn. And then I stopped in the middle and I looked at him and I felt so bad, but he was like, we were both laughing. <laughs> And then it's like we, we salvaged it before it was gone. So like I, I, was, I remember it was this hand. And I was going like this. And I looked at my hand. And I go, ew, my oldie hands. And he's like, really? Um, okay, so here's the story. Here, I, didn't have, I didn't, haven't said these out loud. So I don't know how they're going to have an ending or if there's jokes or anything. But so far it's been great. Um, I should have maybe ended with that first one with the uh, rape exam thing because that did real well. But um, here's a true story, and this isn't really about sex uh, uh, from me, but um, I have a very good friend. His name is Dave Rath, and I feel I can say his name because I I wrote about it and I said his name, so. Okay. (laughs) We've been friends for a long, long time since I was, you know, like, Close to 20 years, probably. And he's a big manager in town, but he's, like, really funny. And uh, we're good friends. And, like, I would stay with him when I would visit L.A. And uh, if he didn't have, like, a girl over, I'd just sleep with him in his bed, you know. But otherwise, I'd sleep on the couch. And it was really fun. He lived with Brian Posehn, and Doug Benson was always there, too, because... I guess like an earthquake had just happened and he was scared to sleep alone. So we would like be on the couches. And it was a lot of fun. It was just like a Todd Glass lived downstairs. It was like a neat... So I don't mean to name drop. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, this is a sidebar, but one night... And I grew up as a bedwetter, but I mean, it's not like I wet the bed now, but one night I got to sleep in his bed with him. You know, he's a big bed. And I totally wet the bed. Like, I completely peed in his bed, and I was like, my heart was like this, and I woke up, and I just was like, in my 
to myself. I said, I have to tell him right now or I'm going to get too scared or something. And I just go, Dave, I peed in your bed. And he just goes, it's okay. Just put a towel down. Thank you. So, uh, okay. So I was coming to town. I was coming to town. I was going to be staying with him. And uh, I... um, you know, I told him, like, I actually, before I even put my bags down, I've got a spot at the Laugh Factory, and he lived right above the Laugh Factory. I said, so meet me there. And um, so I went backstage at the Laugh Factory, just in the back of the room, and he came in, and he rushes, and he's like, hey, baby, you know, and he, you know, we're very close friends, and he, we give, he, you know, he gives me a hug, and he gives me, like, a little kiss on the lips, you know, kisses me on the lips, you know, like a friend, though, and, uh, all of a sudden, I had, he has a goatee. All of a sudden, I had, like, this gelatinous goatee on my own face. <laughs> gelatinous? And I was like, my heart stopped, and I go, were you just eating pussy? And he goes, <laughs> like, as if I was a... The way he thought about it, it was like a magician that guessed his card. He was like, yes! Wash your face! We both like went to the bathroom. I had a stranger's vagina juice all around my mouth. And so now I call him Pussy Face and ever since, and um, his nephew, he said, now calls him Uncle Pussy Face. All right, that's it. Thank you. He could hear John Hodgman through the walls doing a thing called a pump and dump. I'm so sorry to say, to say I had not heard of it. And I said, what is that? And Will Arnett, picture Will Arnett saying, oh, it's when you defecate and masturbate at the same time. And he said it to embarrass to his core John Hodgman. That idea of John Hodgman doing that with Will Arnett pretending he could hear him doing that made me laugh so hard and all the joy leaves my body very much like all the milk is leaving my little brother's body as he's spitting cereal all over the kitchen table in shock and there's a hole in the wall Because what I didn't account for was that he did this on a brick wall. And I did this on drywall. Then I would tenderly take whatever arm hadn't most recently had surgery out of its little brace. And then I would just kind of very gently, gently masturbate with like the fingertips. The way that you would like masturbate a baby if you had to. So gently. He was fat, and I was fat, and it didn't freaking matter, you know? So I looked at him, and he was wearing a leather vest, and I'm like being nice. I go, ooh, I love your leather vest. And he goes, yeah, there are no cows left in Pennsylvania.
Good evening. Or not. Uh, and to the people at home, good evening to you. This is cool because you're here, but they're also there. I've never done this before. I feel like I'm talking to you, but more importantly, I'm talking to the person who's listening to this now on their iPod. One of those really old ones with the scrolly wheel thing. <laughs> I can't believe you still have one of those. And I'm from Africa. <laughs> I, um, I couldn't think of one particular story to tell. It's a very interesting thing to be asked. Uh, tell one story, hone in on it, and share it with people. I came to realize today that I've lived my life in highlights. This is how I've chosen to live it, just because it's more exciting. I don't think everything is worth telling to people. This is something I wish my friends would understand when they're drunk. But, uh, but I figured out I would, I would tell you stories of myself and my mom. I, I grew up in a single parent household. Uh, this was not because my, my father was unavailable or uh, didn't want to live with us. Um, he couldn't live with us because we grew up in South Africa during apartheid, or I grew up during that time. My parents were already grown up when they were parents, because this is generally what parents do. Uh, not always, but most of the time. And so because of this, we couldn't live together. But I feel like even if we could live together, we wouldn't have. My, my mother never wanted a man to own her child. It was a very strange uh, deal she had with my father. She said to him, I want a child. And he said, I don't want to be a dad. She said, no, I didn't say I want you to be a father. I said, I want a child. And so he agreed to make her pregnant, uh, which I think was a good time. And just because I know what this consists of. And, and so I was born to my mother. And she named me Trevor Cliff Noah. The only reason I got the second name Cliff was because she wanted me to have the second initial C. Because she wanted my, my initials to stand for tender care. Um, which is just a horrible reason to give somebody the name Cliff. <laughs> you can just say that my name is tender care and we will know in the family but she chose to destroy me with that name and uh, and my mom and I lived together this this was our thing we were like a team you know a fantastic team that went through life together living in crazy places we moved a lot um, in the beginning I was her little fat child she treated me very well every Tuesday we would go and have pizza this was like a special treat where she would buy me a pizza and then she would watch me eat it she wasn't allowed to join me because this was my pizza and she would do anything for me because I was her only child and I always reminded her of this even as a little child I would look at her and I would say I could die you know and then she would let me eat my food alone which was really cool and assholeish when you think in hindsight but at the time as a child I felt like this was appropriate uh, and so we lived together, and we, we grew up in the strangest areas. Because my mom lived a very independent life, she didn't rely on her family, we lived together in a place called Eden Park, which was a horrible area on, on the very far outskirts of the outskirts of the city. And, and so we, we used to walk to the main road and then hitchhike into town. That was the only way we could get in. Uh, we had no car at the time, so we, we would live there, and then every morning at 6 a.m. we would walk for about an hour, and then we would hitchhike from 7 a.m., and, uh, and then that's how we'd get around. 
Um, sometimes my mom would tell me to hide and then wait for the car to stop for her and then I would run out because people were more likely to stop for a woman and not a woman and a fat child. So we used to do this all the time. And then one day we got a car, which was great. We got a car. And so we lived in this. We had a little beetle that we had together. And life was really good. Until one day, my mom fell in love with another man, uh, a very charming man. He didn't have front teeth, but his charm uh, circumvented this, this fact. <laughs> he, he actually had a great smile, even though he didn't have those teeth. And he was a very charming guy, sweet guy, and he was cool and he was hip. He was the friendliest guy ever. And he was a mechanic, he used to fix our car. And he was just like the coolest guy ever. And one thing led to another. One day we were having dinner with him. The next day we were just hanging out as, as friends. And I got to know him. And he was my buddy. And he was cool. And then one day he slept over at the house, which I didn't understand. I was a kid. I was just like, yeah, he slept over. Uh, I didn't think that he was doing things with my mom, um, which is just horrible even now to think of. <laughs> and, and so he stayed. And then one day my mom said to me, at a prayer group meeting that we always used to go to every Tuesday. She said, Trevor, I'm thinking of marrying this man. And I went, who, Jesus? Because that's who we'd been talking about. <laughs> it's very important to, to build up something before you tell. And she said, no, no, I'm thinking of marrying Abby. And I was like, what? Why would you marry him? He's just a cool guy that sleeps over. This makes no sense. Plus, I've already got a dad. She said, no, no, not to be your dad, to be my husband. And I said, that makes no sense. You get husbands so that they can be dads. And uh, she didn't agree, and so they got married. And I, I never liked him. I never liked him. Uh, I didn't. And I don't think he liked me. I never called him dad. I refused. I called him by his first name, which was Abel. And I made sure I enunciated it when I saw him. I said, hello, Abel. And he would say, hello, Trevor. And we would eye each other. Almost like a young lion cub, eyes the old one, like, one day when I'm strong enough, I will kill you. <laughs> and I always dreamt of that day. And, uh, and we lived together for a while, things were good. And then one day, I'll never forget this. We were at home, and uh, Abel, who was very charming in the beginning, started to become increasingly drunk as the relationship grew, become more and more drunk, and then one day, he, uh, he got to the house, it was at 1 a.m. or somewhere there. And this was a tiny little house we lived in together on the outskirts of the outskirts. And he came back, he was very drunk, and he decided to cook himself some food. During the course of this meal, he fell asleep, which I don't think was in the recipe, and the food burnt on the stove. My mom woke up because she smelled that, that smell. You know the smell, you know when something is burning. And she thought the house was burning down. She ran into the kitchen and she found the food and then she started to shout at him. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, this is the problem with you. This is the thing. You do the thing. You get drunk. You're always drunk now. Why are you always drunk? Why are you always drunk? And he was drunk, like, ah, I'm drunk. And she said, why are you always drunk? Why do you do this? What's wrong with you? And I thought, well, why can't we just sleep? Let's just sleep. Let's just sleep. And then... I'll never forget, I was sleepily watching this fight and uh, out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere, my mom was shouting saying, how could you do this? Why are you doing this? Drunk, you're drunk. Why do you always do this? You're doing this. And then he slapped her. And you know, the weird thing about seeing your parent get hit is you just don't see it coming because parents are not meant to receive beatings. This is their job to administer beatings. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was the recipient of many a beating in my time. This was very normal. I know in America, children aren't supposed to be beaten, which I think is a waste of children. But 
in Africa, this was and still is very normal. You, you hit your child, this is most of the fun of having children. And, uh, and so I was beaten. I think kids are made for it. We, we are meant to be beaten. We, we understand beatings. But I, I'll never forget, my mom got hit by, by this man. And she fell to the ground. And I'd, I'd never seen my mom in this position before. And she was there. And she, and she looked at him. And this was the first time this had ever happened. And she looked at him and she said, what are you doing? And he said, something drunk, drunk, something drunk. Shut up, woman, drunk, drunk. And uh, she got up and she said, what are you doing? How dare you? How can you do that? What are you doing? And he said, shut up. And she said, I won't shut up. I won't shut up. And she said, shut up. And I won't shut up. I won't shut up. And then he hit her again. And then she just carried on talking from the floor. And in my head, I was going, what are you doing? What are you doing? Don't you know how this works? Because I was an expert at receiving beatings. I knew the technique was to question initially and then cry and then be silent. This generally limited the duration of the beating you would receive. Uh, but she just carried on. She just carried on. And, and, and uh, we, we made our way out and we ran. And I'll, I'll never forget that day. We ran to the police station and we got there. And uh, my mom said, I would like to lay a charge against this man who has hit me. And the policeman said, well, did you do something? And my mom said, what do you mean? She said, well, did you do something to make him hit you? And uh, my mom said, no, no, I, I, I didn't. And we stood there. I remember, I remember standing there going, what, what did she do? Did she do? Can you do something to make someone hit you? I, I didn't know, because this was the police, and the police know everything. You know? So I stood there, and I, I didn't know. And uh, I don't remember what happened for the rest of the night, because I fell asleep on the police bench next to a man in handcuffs who uh, cradled me in his lap as I fell asleep. Um, I remember the warm handcuffs against my face. Um, they actually aren't that bad when they're warm. Yeah. When they're cold, it's like, ah, oh, handcuffs. But when they're warm, it's just like excessive jewelry type thing, you know. And I fell asleep. My mother didn't leave him. And we, we lived together for many years. He didn't, didn't hit her again until one day, a few years ago, uh, my mom was coming back from church. And I was in my new place. I had just gotten a place. And I got a phone call from my brother, my younger brother, in the morning. And he said, Trevor, where are you? What are you? Are you busy? And I said, yeah, sort of. What happened? And he said, mom's been shot. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And he said, mom's been shot. Are you busy? And I said, uh, even if I was, this, is, <laughs> this sort of clears out my schedule. And he said, well, she's been shot. And it's so funny, I didn't ask by whom. I knew immediately who she had been shot by. It was a strange thing. I always hated the man. He had an evil about him. And so I said, okay, where was this? And my brother said, at the house, at the house. But we're at the hospital now. And so I got in the car and I drove to the hospital. I get to the hospital and my brother's outside holding back tears. And he's, he's 10 years younger than me. But he was, he was much stronger than I was. I was crying. I was bawling like a little child, just crying. What has she done? Why didn't she leave him? I told him to leave him. And I ran in and the people were there at the hospital. And they, and they ask you all the important questions about her, you know, like, uh, like does she have uh, insurance? Does she have medical insurance? And I go, don't you want to know her blood type? They said, no, we need to know her insurance type. And, um, and they wouldn't help her until we proved we had insurance, which we didn't. So I said, use my credit card and just pay for whatever. And they said, it might be very expensive. I said, no, no, it doesn't matter. M money's no cost. This is, this is money's, no, money's no, no object. This is my mother. Just, just take the money. And they said, but we need to do x-rays. It could cost a thousand. I said, take the thousand. And they said, well, we need to do blood tests and we might do surgery. It might cost 10,000. I said, take the 10,000. They said, it might be a lot of money if she has to go in ICU. I said, just do it. They said, but it could cost a fortune. I said, well, how much? 
how much? Because I mean, we don't want it to be too much. Because I mean, like, I still want my money, and she's cool and everything. But she's lived a great life, I feel, and I think she would understand. She wouldn't want to be for me to be broke, and she didn't like survive in surgery. Like, I think she wouldn't want that. So tell me when it gets to like more than like like a hundred thousand, and then we'll then we'll reevaluate this relationship and everything around us. And uh, and then they said, no, it'll only cost a few thousand. I said, well, then the money's no object. Take the thousands. Take the thousands and save my mother. Take it all, but not all. Just take what I said before, but just, just imagine it's all. And so then my mom was there, and she was bleeding, and I was crying, and my brother was there holding me like, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay. And, and he told me the story. Apparently, this man came to the house while my mom was there, coming back from church. Um, very ironically, I feel, because you just come from church. Church is the place where you, you almost go and re-up your ante of good things. You know, you go there and you go, hey, give me more good things for one more week, please. And then she came back, and then now bad thing immediately. And I was just like, ah, you let us down, Jesus. That was a bit of a slip-up. You should have protected her at least until Monday. I mean, on the Sunday, that's just that's just major letdown in terms of like God. I was very disappointed by that, and I let him know on many occasions uh, as I re-upped my auntie. But anyway, I, I go off the topic, and um, and so so my brother told me the story. He came to the house and he said, "I've had enough of this. I've heard you want to leave me. You will not leave me." And then he pulled out a gun and then he fired he fired the shots at her and. Um, and miraculously, four of the bullets refused to fire. They just fell out of the front of the gun and fell onto the floor, just totally not discharged, which was very weird. I think that was Jesus. Like, he, he was like, four bullets, then everything else. He was like, look, man, I, I, I can't work miracles. I mean, I can, but this is like, bullets and wine are very different. Um, so he stopped four bullets. So only one entered my mom's head, came into the back of her head and then out the front by her nose. So it ripped her nose to shreds. And so she was in the hospital bleeding from her face. And I was there panicking. What are you going to do? And my mom was there and gasping for blue, with blood going, oh, don't worry, don't worry. I was like, I'm worried, I'm worried. And I was crying. She's the one bleeding, but I'm crying. Like, oh, I'm in so much pain. I'm in so much pain. And she's like, it's okay, it's okay. And I'm like, it's not okay. You're bleeding out your face, lady. This is not okay. And it reminded me of the first time I saw my mom's tampons as a little child. Because that was the first time I saw my mom bleed. And I remember going, this is, you're not okay. You're going to die. And she said, no, this is what happens. And I, I came over there, but then like this was like, no, this is not what happens because you're bleeding out your face now and it looks like it'll last more than seven days. So this is a problem and we sat there and, and we cried together, my brother and I. And, um, and then my mom, my mom miraculously survived. The bullet went through her, uh, missing everything, her spine, her, her nerves, everything came out the front and it just ripped her, her nose to shreds. And uh, I remember standing in the, the recovery room with her when we just and you know she regained consciousness and the doctor came and he said it's a miracle it's a miracle you have survived the bullets did no damage just to your face and we can have plastic surgery if you want and my mom said no no surgery i'll keep it the way it is as a reminder of what has happened to me and i remember looking at her and i went wow what a hero what a hero sort of ugly hero because the nose is weird but still a hero and she's my mom so i don't care and, uh, and I'll never forget, just like I guess my, my inspiration, she looked at me, and my mom and I look very alike, uh, just she's like the darker version of me because she's black, and she looked at me, and uh, this was the aftermath, everyone had just been quiet for a long time, and she looked and she said, you know what this means now, right? And I said, no, what does it mean? And she said, well now, you're undisputedly the best looking person in the family. <laughs> and she said, there's a bright side to everything. And there was, and she's cool now, and uh, the man who shot her is in jail. And uh, thanks to Jesus, there were no more than one bullet. And this is my story. Thank you very much.
That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is I'm From Barcelona, Behind Me Now, and we just heard from Trevor Noah. Before that, a montage of clips from other folks who have been on Risk that included Janine Garofalo, Wyatt Cenac, Rob Delaney, and Lisa Lampanelli. Don't forget that some of these folks are also in the Risk book, which is coming in July. You can pre-order it at theriskbook.com and be sure to email me at kevin at risk-show.com to say you pre-ordered it to be eligible for a prize. I want to remind you about MedMen with a wide range of products and a knowledgeable and approachable staff. MedMen is bringing a premium and traditional shopping experience to the cannabis space. Anyone over 21 with a valid ID is welcome. Check out one of their eight retail locations throughout Los Angeles, Orange County, San Diego, and Las Vegas, or go to medmen.com to find your nearest store. That's M-E-D-M-E-N.com. Plus, exclusively for Risk listeners, visit MedMen and tell them you heard about them on Risk for $10 off your order. Limit one per customer. Terms and conditions may apply. Check out MedMen today. Now I'm going to read a huge list of places that Risk will be appearing live next. And I want you to know that you might be able to share a story at one of those shows. If you go to the submissions page at risk-show.com, there's instructions there on how to pitch us your stories. First, on April 21st, Risk is back in Los Angeles at the Bootleg Theater. And on April 21st, we are also in Pittsburgh. The LA show is hosted by Beowulf Jones. The Pittsburgh show will be hosted by me, April 21st in Pittsburgh. On April 26th, we're in New York City at Caveat. And on May 17th, we're in Kansas City, Kansas. Technically, we're in Lawrence, Kansas, but that's May 17th. On May 18th, we're in St. Louis, Missouri. So come on out on May 18th, St. Louis. On May 25th, we're in Atlanta. And June 8th is our first ever show in Florida, in Tampa. June 8th, we're in Tampa. And June 9th, we're in Orlando. On July 20th, we are in Boston, technically Somerville. July 20th, come on out, Boston. On July 27th, we're back in San Francisco. On August 3rd, we're in Detroit. 
on August 10th, Chicago, on August 11th, Minneapolis, on August 17th, Baltimore, August 18th, Washington, D.C. September 6th, we're in Portland, September 7th, Seattle, September 8th, Vancouver. There's always more information to be found at risk-show.com and some of the very, very best stories that have ever been shared on the podcast have been shared by people who had never gotten up on stage and told a story before. So pitch us your stories at the submissions page at risk-show.com. If you're interested in education around storytelling, we do that too at the Story Studio. And of course, be sure to give us a good review on Apple Podcasts via the iTunes store and look for us on social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Risk Show. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Somewhere it's always spring. sound of my cat donkey purring while I read the names of some more people that have pre-ordered the Risk book. Natalie Walid. Danielle Steele. Wait a minute. I I meant Daniel. Daniel Steele. Mishka Raposka. Kara Brady. Brittany Mukovka. Mock. Makovka, Makovka, Brittany Makovka, Nina Tremkina, <laughs> Rob Dean, Mel Jones, Tara Jalali, Kelsey Wilson. <laughs>